0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Impossible Podcast, the podcast where I interview athletes, entrepreneurs, and artists about pushing their limits and doing the impossible so you can get inspired, take action, and start pushing your limits, too. On today's podcast, I'm speaking with Ed Roschitz. He's the CEO of Dude Solutions, a $100 million software company based out of Raleigh, North Carolina. He's also an endurance athlete and a 200-mile ultramarathoner. We talk everything about his story, lessons from his races, and what it's like to run a company at such scale. I was actually out at Dude Solutions doing a speaking engagement for their sales team and had the chance to catch up with Ed after the talk. And we had a great time. So really appreciate the guys at Dude Solutions for bringing me out, but also uh, really enjoyed sitting down with Ed today. I think you're going to like it quite a bit. But first, if you guys want to support the podcast, go head on over to impossiblegear.com and pick up an Impossible shirt. It's the most comfortable way to do something uncomfortable. So if you've got something on your Impossible list and you're going to go knock it out, go pick up a shirt, wear the shirt for your Impossible challenge, take a photo, send it in, and I'll feature you on the site, on Instagram, all over the place. Also, check out MoveWellApp.com. If you guys are sitting down all day or you're athletes trying to get stronger, get faster, or recover from injuries, MoveWell is the best mobility app out there. 10-minute mobility routines designed for specific issues. So if you have lower back pain, if you're just trying to increase your range of motion or prevent injuries do 10 minutes of mobility a day. I built this after I got hurt during one of my races and it has been the best tool I know for recovery. So check it out, movableapp.com. It's free for iOS. You can check it out and get started feeling better and moving well today. Also, a couple weeks ago, we announced that we're helping 10,000 people start a blog with startablog.com. If you want to start changing your life, telling a better story, and doing something impossible, I found starting a blog is the best way to do that. It was literally the thing that changed my life, and I want to be able to give back and help other people doing that. So, what we're doing is if you go on over to startablog.com, we will help you set up your first blog for free. Pretty simple and straightforward process but you check it out startablog.com slash free blog and we'll set your first blog up for you. No catches. Starting a blog was the most impactful thing that I've done and I wanted to be able to help other people do this. So we've had a few hundred people already take advantage of this but we're trying to help ten thousand. So check it out startablog.com slash free blog and start your blog today we'll help you do it. Okay, guys, that's it for the announcements today. Let's get into my interview with Ed Rosich. All right, so today on the podcast, I've got Ed Rosich. Yes. Got uh, it. He's the CEO of Dude Solutions. You want to just give me a quick rundown of who you are, what Dude Solutions is, and then we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm the CEO of Dude Solutions. I've uh, been in the software space my uh, almost entire adult life, and uh, landed here in Cary, North Carolina, oh, about nine months ago to take the reins from the original founder. Here, we build software to track cases and assets and facilities, things like schools, government, manufacturing plants, um, healthcare, you know, hospitals, senior living homes, and you know, tracking simple things like air conditioners and maintenance on air conditioners and inventory tracking for parts and all that. Real easy thing to get your head wrapped around is, you know, a teacher in, you know, say Chicago public schools, it's cold in her room and building 300. She can put in a a ticket and our software handles that, dispatches a tech, you know, maybe they have to bring a part with them or something like that to the HVAC up on the roof. And uh, we track all that and I've been doing that for about 19 years.
0: And what were you doing before Dude Solutions?
1: Yeah. So um, I was sort of retired. I was uh, basically um, doing a ton of ultra running, a little bit of reading and writing, and uh, I've got a little vineyard at Mendocino. And before that, I was with a uh, company up in Toronto called Point Click Care that did electronic healthcare record management software for senior living.
0: Okay. Very cool. So we're going to talk about ultra running in a second, but with Dude Solutions. So you guys brought me out to actually do a talk yesterday. Yeah, it went great. We appreciate you being out here. I had a great time. So thanks for bringing me out. But uh, how big are you guys? What size is the company? How many employees...
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, we have about 11,000 organizations using our software in North America, basically uh, U.S. and Canada. We have uh, about 650 employees, most of them headquartered here out of North Carolina. We've got a small office up uh, near the Seattle area, Palsbo, uh, Washington, and then a few people working out of fourth bedrooms and dining rooms and basements and all that. But yeah, roughly about 650. We'll do about 100 million in revenue this year, which puts us, you know, sort of in the top 1% of all software companies in... In North America, and we're growing like mad. Uh, if you know anybody that wants a job,
0: uh, we're hiring. That's awesome. So, what made you, uh, you know, you said you were kind of retired before yeah. this, and you didn't necessarily, I don't know if you needed the job or not, but if you're t- retired, you probably don't. What made you want to take the job?
1: Yeah, I've been very fortunate to be in the software industry and have uh, had some great runs. And my last run ended uh, last year, and my wife and I decided to, to retire on our mini ranch in Mendocino, California. And we started to uh, think about building a house, sort of the retirement house. And as the plans got a little fancier, a little bit bigger, a little bit fancier, a little bit bigger, I'm looking at my checkbook. It's like, uh uh-oh. So I I was pretty much left, I think, with three options. One, tell my beautiful wife, Christine, that uh, we can't build the house. That would have resulted in divorce number two, which would have cost me more than building the darn house. Option two was tell her we're gonna descope, desize the house. Hey, that nice six burner wolf stove that you wanted have a little four burner can more electric and that would have at least been a year's worth of therapy, and then probably ultimately ending in a divorce, which would cost me more <laughs> than a house. I and mean, hopefully, I don't know if this is a PG really uh, show, but you know, third option was to get my ass back to work. So, I had three CEO opportunities land themselves on on my lap uh, when my my thirty watt ball brain went off that I had to go back to work. Literally in two weeks, I had three CEO jobs lined up. I think my wife was sending out resumes behind my back the whole time, and the timing was great. But I was in a very fortunate place from a Career perspective that I could choose where I wanted to be. And it came down to three P's. Uh, It was nothing magic. I didn't start off with, well, I need to, uh, I'll start with three P's and fill in the blanks, but it was people. I wanted to work with some nice, smart, fast people. Two, the product had to solve a noble problem. Like it had to do some good in the world. When you think about keeping kids warm, safe, dry in schools taking care of our government places making sure that hospitals and senior care facilities are well maintained for our grandparents and parents and then uh, manufacturing everybody does it so we uh, that noble mission that you know pretty much touches every you know american and canadian you know our software does and then the third possibilities. I wanted to have my last rodeo at a company that had some growth opportunity to it. And when you think of all the schools and government facilities and hospitals and all that, we got a huge market here. We're gonna keep growing like crazy. You know, we'll probably be twice our size in the next three years if we get our way with it.
0: Yeah. How old are you? Fifty-four. Okay. So you mentioned you decided to get your ass back to work. Yeah. And then you have three CEO opportunities. Yeah. find yourself. Obviously, there's um a whole resume of work of 20, 30 years of stuff you did up to that point. Are there a few things that you can pinpoint that you said, these are things that set me up to be in a position where if I say, hey, I'm working on this ranch, I got this vineyard to build, I should go get get back to work. You can be in a spot where you have those types of opportunities or is it just a cumulative experience over the last 30 years or can you pick out couple different things that were
1: Yeah, I've got some very specific things. I am probably one of the luckiest people on the face of the planet career wise. I originally had signed up to be an air traffic controller in the military and when I actually got to basic training, they said you can't be an air traffic controller because you wear glasses. I've had LASIK since and I was like, oh crap, what am I gonna do now? And they're like, well you could be a military police officer or we've got these things called computers that need repair technicians. This was back in like 82, 83. I'd never actually even seen a computer, but I knew I didn't want to be a police officer, not because I have any disrespect for it, it just didn't appeal to me. And so that was like lucky lightning strike number one for me. A second lucky lightning strike in my career was, I was working for a computer company, a midframe manufacturer, and the internet had just gotten started and there was these things called routers and uh, they needed salespeople for it. And I, I wanted to be a salesperson and um, this company signed up a reseller agreement with this little company back at the time. It was like ninety million dollars in the Bay Area. Now it's like a twenty bazillion dollar company called Cisco, and and that was lucky lightning strike number two for me. I was able. I mean, literally, you could have been a a chimpanzee with Tourette syndrome, and still been able to sell Cisco back in the early days. And then the third was getting lucky enough to get affiliated in the software industry with a couple of private equity firms. And they've really, of course, I've had to deliver for them, but they've been very thoughtful about helping me achieve some of my career goals. I think besides those lucky lightning strikes, I think the other pivotal thing that I hope everybody gets a chance to find in their career are pivotal mentorships and relationships with people that give you a tough love at times and you know tell you to modify or work with you to to get you new skills and i've had two or three of those in my career like my first sales manager just as likely to hug me as well as kick me when i needed it and uh, my, the first ceo i reported to directly as well same thing so i think lucky lightning strikes and the right people along the way
0: how would you find those mentors or you just find them from The work that you fell into? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. I think the best mentors are ones that come up organically. You know, I've had a lot of situations where people try to line people up for mentorships and all that. There's got to be a chemistry, there's got to be some common bonds. And I find that the best mentoring relationships. Happen because one maybe an individual sees something and say you and says wow I'd like to pick up you know from Joel what what he's learned and you know buy that guy some lunch and you know see if I could pick his brain or the other flip side is you know maybe you see something in somebody that you work with and say well you know I would take that person underneath my wing and and help Matt they got some talent they got some skill good chemistry let's let's see if I can help that person out those are the types of mentoring relationships I think work out really well
0: yeah have you seen any ones that for you, maybe you, you have a couple examples of ones that turned out really well. Do you have any other examples where you thought it was going to turn out well, and then it was yeah, not, not as good of a situation?
1: Yeah, I think we all do as leaders. For example, I've had I've had situations where I've invested a lot in an individual. You know, it didn't work out for a variety of reasons, maybe a character issue or you know something like that. That you're just like, wow, I can't believe I put a year into this person He just did that. I can't I can't be associated mm-hmm. with it.
0: Random tangent. Yeah. I saw you went to uh, Indiana Wesleyan. I did, yeah. yeah so I went to uh, Bethel College.
1: Oh, wow. Just, yeah, right up know, the road,
0: sort of. Two hours or whatever. We yeah. played you know, basketball, track, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I saw that. I was like, that's interesting. So are you from Indiana?
1: I spent five years in Indiana for work and, uh, and marriage and it took me 11 years to get my bachelor's degree. And thankfully, Indiana Wesleyan was the place that allowed me the the latitude to get that done. So yeah, but I, I lived in Indianapolis for about five years on one of my jobs.
0: Okay. That's cool. So throughout all this stuff, you know, you've obviously had a drive to excel. You know, you say a bunch of light, lucky lightning strikes and, you know, you're in the right place at the right time, but there's a lot of people that lightning heads and they don't do anything mm-hmm. with it. So, you know, you obviously have the career aspect down. But then you also have like this ultra running side that we talked about a little bit before the mm-hmm. podcast. But I'm curious, one, when did that, the ultra aspect mm-hmm. start to kick in? Was that, you know, kind of innate when you got started since you were young? Or is that something that's been more recent of a...
1: Yeah. So um, actually my start in ultra running had a, a rather auspicious start. I was 35 years old, two kids, weighed probably... 45, 50 pounds more than I do from what you're looking at me today. And I was walking up a flight of stairs at age 35 and I got out of breath at the top of the stairs. I was like, shit, I'm 35. I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be out of breath. So the very next day I started walking and then I started jogging and then I entered a 5K and then a 10K and then a half and then a full. This is about year 2000. I did my first full and I get back to the office And I'm feeling all, you know, hey, I just did a marathon, you know, full cocky, you know, with that. And one of the guys in the office who was one of the early Ironmen in the sport looked at me, he goes, "Uh, 26 miles? That's no big deal unless you put a 2.4-mile swim and a 112-mile bike in front of it. And uh, I sort of looked at him, cocked my head. I was like, what is that? And he was like, oh, that's Ironman. I was like, oh yeah, that's a thing on Wide World of Sports where that guy like staggers across the line and all that. He's like, yeah. He goes, when you do one of those, then you have a right to brag. I was like, I'm going to do one in six months. I didn't know how to swim other than sort of doggy paddling like everybody else does. So I went down to the local bike shop and uh, told the guy, John Glover, I don't know where he's at these days. I was like, I'm going to do an Ironman in six months. Can you sell me a bike that'd get the job done? And I got my first, it was a Lightspeed. And over the course of uh, like the next seven, eight years, I did 10 Ironmen, Florida three times, Louisville three times, Arizona three times. And there was something here called the Duke Iron Devil back in the day uh, that was trying to get sanctioned. So I did 10 Ironmen. And then about the, the eighth or ninth one, I don't know what it was. It just, you know, I wasn't getting high off the experience anymore. And I was like, you know, this, this ultra running stuff looks pretty cool. So I did a 50 and then I tried to do the cascade crest classic out in the Seattle area and just got my ass handed to me. It was, it was just horrible experience, but, but I was hooked. And, uh, since, uh, really, uh, 2010, 2011 I've really focused on ultra running, which actually fits my schedule as a CEO much better. I attempted to run across the US about 3 years ago and uh, I, you know, I've completed and finished pretty well in a couple uh, couple 100-mile races. So
0: How far did you make it across the US?
1: I made it. I was going uh, east to west. I was trying to go from Charleston, South Carolina to uh, San Diego, California and I uh, got about 500 miles in. And stress fractured my ankle, and it was it was my own darn fault. The day before I stress fractured, the Columbus State University cross country team in, in Georgia uh, ran with me the across the entire state, and you know I was uh, how old was I probably forty eight, and we cranked out a, a seven hour and forty five minute fifty miler. And then the next day, um, I was trying to keep up with these kids. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. But uh, the very next day, I got about an hour in and and my ankle literally swelled up the size of a grapefruit. and I'm not too proud to say we tried everything. I called my doctor up. We got an MRI. They confirmed something was going on. They couldn't tell exactly if it was a stress fracture or something else, but they loaded me up with Vicodin and I tried another day or two high as a kite on Vicodin and I yeah, just couldn't do it. So I made it about 500 miles.
0: I was going to ask you when you knew something was wrong, but I assumed the swelling. Yeah, the swelling. Pretty good, pretty and
1: I've, got, I've got pictures and it literally looks like somebody stuffed a grapefruit up underneath my skin on my, uh, my right ankle.
0: Why'd you want to run across America?
1: Well, it's a funny, you know, Dean mm-hmm. um, he had announced he was going to do a run across the, the U.S. roughly about the same time. And it had been something, one of those bucket list things like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to run across the U.S. And when he announced it, I was like, oh, wouldn't that be cool if we could, I could start on the East, he could start in the West, maybe we try to find a rat, meet in the middle somewhere, shake hands and, and all that. So it was more of a, of a destination opportunity for me, you know, big goal, which I will get back to at some point. You'd go back and do it. Oh yeah. I would do it much different. I wouldn't try to keep up with a bunch of 21 year olds uh, running through Georgia, but yeah, different pace.
0: Have you ever done Race Across America?
1: Uh, the bike thing? The bike race? No, yeah. no. Those guys are just maniacs. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I know a guy that's crewed for somebody that, uh, that made it across, but uh, I've not done it.
0: I did uh, way back in the day, a different life. I was helping crew for a video crew of a Henry Kastner. Mm. Kastner. I did bandwidth.com, I think. Got it. Uh, they had a crew of a bunch of people or whatever. And that was the first time I heard about that. And I was like, holy cow. That's this looks nuts. awesome. And that's like, it's a similar experience where you're like, but you're also done in eight days. So you don't have to dedicate 60 yeah, days or 60 days, you know, whatever yeah. it is going to be. But I saw that. I was like, that sounds interesting. I have a couple friends who have a buddy who took like seven months and walked across the U.S. And that's like a nice leisurely pace, but he literally just didn't have a job. for <laughs> Yeah. And then I've had a couple friends that have done the the run across uh, the U.S., but just that constant pounding over and oh, over Oh, that's over. crazy. Just a whole different type of mental thing when you're doing it on
1: your own. Oh, it's amazing. I've been keeping track of uh, Lazarus Lake, Gary Cantrell, the guy that does um, the Barclays and yeah, yeah. uh, uh, Vol State 500, but he's walking across the U.S. right now. I think he's somewhere at in Wyoming, but he's doing 30 miles a day. I don't know how old he is. He's pretty coy about it, but he's got to be almost 70 and he's uh, he's doing it uh, right now.
0: So I know his story from the Barclay ones where he used yep. the guy that, he finished like a couple minutes late or something like that. But he No, that's Gary the Robin.
1: That's Gary Robbins. Okay, okay. Um Laz Lake is the guy that he's a race director for. Oh, uh, he's the race director. Oh, the race
0: director. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I didn't know that. that is, yeah. he's older. He's like seventy
1: He's gotta be close to seventy. Yeah, he's pretty coy about his age. But yeah, yeah you can look at him and like, Okay, dude, you're you're getting up there, you know. <laughs> I think he started in um Portland, uh, Maine and then he's going to like Portland, Oregon or something like that.
0: You were doing these Ironmans Mm -hmm. and you said you weren't getting high off them anymore. Yeah, yeah. And then you find the world of... So did you just have a bunch of friends that were doing Ironmans that also were doing ultras and that's how you got exposed? Or what was that first exposure like where you're like, oh, this is a world that exists? Because I was starting to run marathons and marathoners and ultra marathoners are not really the same It's a different crowd, Yep. And so even Ironmans, you get a lot more crazy endurance people, but... Man tend to be like very focused on gear and yeah. You know, it's very gear focused. And then ultra marathon's just like, Yeah, I, I thought I'd go out into the woods for like five days and just, you know, run nonstop and eat berries. Yes, exactly you know? right.
1: Yeah. You nailed it. You know, the early days of Iron Man I think were a lot less about the gear. I think the you know, making it up a little bit, the first guys that ran it were like riding on like forty pound Huffies and you know, Converse all-star tennis shoes. I'm probably making that up a little bit. And then you're right. It got to who's got the best technology, who's got the best nutrition, lots of dirty guys uh, from uh, doping and and all that. So that changed. The thing that I lost the high, but also what I recognized was that the the vibe, the energy had changed around Ironman. and, And I don't know, maybe they got it back. So I'm not, not here to judge, but my first Ultra, I was reading about it and I wanted to, I wanted to try something else. As you've experienced with the ultra community, man, there are some really awesome people in that community. Nice. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the middle of a race and another crew would stop. Hey, you need ice? You need anything? You know, what can we do for you? And I'm like, I'm not even running with you and you're, you're trying to help me out. And, you know, most of the time, as you know, uh, with your experience Although you might be competing with the guy or the girl next to you, you're really competing with yourself when you get a day or two into these things. And that whole, you never know, you know, David Goggins says it, you know, there's always 40% more in the tank uh, than what you think you have. I like to say, you never know what you have until you're asked to give it. And um, I've been in, in, in like, like you, I'm sure at the point of, you know, heat exhaustion, hallucinating, throwing up. You know, all the everything that you could think about. And it's like, well, if I can just make it to the next telephone pole, life might be okay.
0: Yeah. I noticed that sometimes in the ultra running community, I have to be more conscious of how my face looks because I've sort of have a resting bitch face. <laughs> and so sometimes people will be like really nice to me in the middle of the race. And I'm just like, you know, in a zone, Intense, in, a, in yeah. a different place. And people think I'm mad at them or something like that. I'm like, no, I, I was at Leadville and I was going to pace some people and they didn't end up going out to pace people. But I remember walking by one guy and he said, what's up to me? And I was like really focused on something else. And I was in my mind. I said like, hey, how's it going? But I don't think it came across in my face. <laughs> right. And he was like, oh, that was really mean. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to be nice. But yeah. was,
1: your face is saying F you, but your voice is, your voice is
0: good, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny you mentioned Goggins. I was just up at uh, Jesse Itzler's house doing Hell on the Hill, which is Jesse had, I don't know if you know Jesse, but no. he had a... Uh, Goggins come live with him. For oh yeah, days.
1: the CEO he wrote the book Living uh, the, with the Seal, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And he just did another book, uh Living with Monks or whatever. And so he has this thing at his house every year where it's like a thirty-five percent grade. It's eighty oh, yards, man. you run up and down a hundred times. And how long does that take? Last year I had no idea what I was getting it for. I signed up for it and I was like, Okay, it's a hill. How bad's a hill? And uh thirty-five yeah, percent grade. I, I posted something like, Oh, this is uh you know, they had an image that said Uh, 80 yards, 100 times, 35% grade. I was like, oh, this sounds like my idea of fun for a weekend. And Jesse wrote back like, you say that now, dot, dot, dot. And so last year, I didn't know what I was getting into and just got completely dominated. It was like, I think it took me like three and a half hours and I was just like, okay. And in my mind, I left last year and I was like, okay, the number one way you make up time is all the guys that do it really fast, run down the hill, like sprint down the hill.
1: Which so, is twice as bad as running up the hill, yeah. frankly. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, like, there's just a point where you can only go so fast up the hill. You can try to power hike, but you're not really pushing. And so, in my mind, last year, while I, I got to practice running downhills. When I got to training this year, I was just like, apparently, I forgot all of that. I was just like, you know what I need to do? I need to practice rocking uphills. And so, I was like loading up my backpack weight awesome. hiking uphills. And I was like, I'm going to be killing it. same problem. Like, I was fine on the uphills. Uphills were totally fine. I lost all of my speed on the downhills, and then uh, it was raining. I was slipping a bunch. Uh, I'm pretty mad about how I did this year. So oh. <laughs> I'm not going to make excuses because everybody else had to deal with the same stuff. But yeah, yeah. I was just like, all right, I have to figure out how to run downhill and chop my feet on like wet, slippery grass. And I, I think I bit it like 12 times.
1: Or oh something my gosh. like that
0: falling down here. But it's it's one of those things. Is it
1: like grass or is it? Yeah. Is yeah it so roots well, and I mean, it was or? grass. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: he sacrifices the whole yard. Like. Oh wow. He was telling his wife, he's got on the bike or whatever, and he'd get up there. He's like, we're not raising grass. We're raising memories. <laughs> and uh, he's just going after. He's like, get rid of all the grass, Sarah. Get rid of all the grass. And I'm like, all right, that's right. You're sacrificing your backyard for us. So it was all grass, 35% grade, and then it just turns into mud in the oh. middle of it. But it's it's one of those things. You get into it, and you're just like, you know, like 25 laps, loops. You're like, I don't you know, it's hot, it's raining, you're like, I don't know how much more of this I want to Why do. Why did I then, do
1: this again? Yeah. And
0: then you get to 60 or something, you're like, okay, like, it's going to awesome. be to That's awesome. You mentioned you did a 50 miler, was mm-hmm. your first ultra marathon. Yep. What of your most memorable races? I know we can talk about the Georgia race, we yep. can talk about some of the stuff coming up, but like, do you have any specific race memories where <laughs> yeah. you're like in the suck?
1: I got a couple of really good ones. Um, one more comedic, and then I'll tell you about a suck race, but the comedic, the first 50 miler, which was the, um, uh, the endurance 50, uh, what's the name of the the sponsorship for that North face, um, San Francisco up in the, uh, Hills of Marin mill Valley area. I did pretty good. I finished, uh, maybe top 25% and for my age group was probably 10% top 10%, but I was feeling a little bit queasy when I got in my car and I was like, all right, yeah, I'll just settle down. It'll be fine. So I actually get to the toll booth going across the golden gate bridge And was handing the guy my money, and I felt the urge to throw up. And the only thing I had was a water bottle. So I actually, in front of this guy who looked horrified, I undid the top, dumped out whatever Gatorade or whatever I was drinking out, and just blew chunks right in front of the guy. And he's like, you okay? I was like, yeah, He goes, you've been drinking? I was like, "Mm, no, I just ran up the hills and I'm I'm sick as a dog. And he let me through. But that was uh, probably the grossest thing.
0: You're clean shaven right now. But if you grew out the typical ultra beard and you're just throwing up in San Francisco, there's like a (laughs) 50-50 chance that you're either homeless or you're an ultra runner. That's that's exactly right.
1: Yeah, you've been there. That's exactly right. Probably the closest thing I had to death was... uh, The second or third attempt at the uh, race across Georgia, which is a 260-mile race from uh, Savannah to Columbus, Georgia, it was the first time. That's why I wasn't familiar with the course. I thought there was an area of the course in my sleep-addled brain that wasn't allowed to have a crew. And so for about 25 miles in like 95-degree heat, 90% humidity, I went without water and uh, food and literally almost passed out. My wife met me somewhere in this mess between Fort Benning and in the finish line. And I was like, I don't know if I can make it. So, uh, she went and ran out ahead of me and grabbed a bag of Funyuns and a Slurpee from the gas station that was up the hill and high quality, um, nutrition. High quality nutrition. I was probably as close to heat stroke as I've ever been on anything. I would also say the Cascade Crest Classic, um, which I have not mastered yet. Uh, after two attempts, it was raining one year, and there's a rope climb, and um, I actually slid down the hill and um, thought I was gonna bite it on a rock with my head on that. But uh, no, it's uh, as you, you know as you do it, you're one rock from flying off a cliff in some of these
0: trail races. with the Georgia one, when you started overheating and just dehydrating, like how'd you cool down from that? That's the stuff that always gets me. If I get yeah. hot, like I can run cold, like. I'll deal with it. But if I get hot, then I'm just like, I have to slow down until I, I bring yeah, my core temp down. Yeah, I had down.
1: to walk. I got off the, at this point, it was like a paved trail. There's a river that goes through Columbus. Uh, I was just aiming for trees to stay in the shade as much as I could. And, um, you know, again, if my wife hadn't have been there with the Slurpee, I probably wouldn't be talking to you today. Oh, that's the same race. I had a shoe malfunction. And uh, I actually uh, had a blowout and um, didn't have the second pair with me during that session. Um, and, uh, I get close to the finish line. All my wife had in the crew vehicle was a pair of slipper, like bedroom slippers that I had planned on wearing home. So I actually crossed the finish line in fourth place wearing <laughs> a pair of bedroom slippers.
0: That's a good finish photo. Yeah.
1: It, oh, it was. Just, yeah. It like a trademark thing that you certainly usually, like setting a fashion the last, statement. The last mile yeah. or
0: something like that. You said you did the, the race across Georgia. Uh, I think
1: I've, uh, I've done that four times now. Um, I finished first in 2016 and uh, finished fourth in 2015. I might be off by a year on both of those. It might have been one year one
0: year earlier. Okay. And so when you get into like those places where you have a shoe blow off or you know your your body shutting down. Yep. I'm always curious what you know when people get like backed against the wall and. I'm curious both on the business side of things, you know, if there's an angle there, but also just, you know, from the sheer physical aspect of your body shutting down, how do you keep going? What yep. are you telling yourself when you're in that moment and pushing through?
1: Yeah. So I think a couple of things, it, when you do these things, the best laid plans go out the window after the first you know, eight hours, your body starts doing stuff you can't predict. You know, you've, you've been there, I'm sure. You watch for signs where you need water, you need food, you need something, and you really try to get on top of that. You always, you do at some point have Murphy's Law show up and, and bad things happen. What I always try to do is a couple of things- you know, keep asking myself, is this a, a fatal problem? Almost none of it is. I mean, you can pretty much get yourself out of anything if you take time and, you know, drink, eat, make sure you've got your crew vehicle equipped right with the right amount of equipment. The other thing I do, though, is I set very short term goals. Even though I might have 100 miles to go, that next flag that I have to hit, or hey, that telephone pole down there, if I could just make it there, then uh, maybe I'll. Uh, I'll grab a bite to eat or the next rock or, or what have you. I also, like you, I've raised a lot of money for charity. I'm, I'm probably on almost $100,000 for veterans causes. One of the things that's actually fueled me um, is, dude, you're not in Afghanistan or, or Iraq or some place with people shooting at you at 120 degrees and you don't hear them complain and suck it up, yeah. you know, HTFU.
0: Yeah. I love the perspective that you can get sometimes because, oh. you know, the idea that, you know, is this fatal or not? Okay, if it's fatal, then yep. you should be worried. Yeah. But yeah, I talked about this yesterday, but the idea that your brain is telling you something completely different from reality. And then you just check into reality and you say, hey, you know what? I probably need water right now. Yep. But I'm not going to die. Right. And then when you contrast it versus like, people who actually have real problems in the world, and you're like, I get to suffer like this. Like,
1: I paid and, for this, yeah, actually. <laughs> I paid for this. I
0: actually wanted to do this, I thought this was a great idea. When that comes up, you just like I don't know. It shifts your perspective, and you're just like, I can deal with this. Yeah, you know, don't when be a wussy. Yeah, yeah. When we were doing uh, hell on the hill, it was uh, Jesse was saying it's four hours, and when you say it like that, it's like, and that's four hours if you go slow, right? Like if you're if you're struggling, it's like, yeah, it's gonna be painful. And like in the moment at like the first hour and ten minutes in, you're like, God, this is kind of sucks. But it's only four hours. You can handle four hours of pain, absolutely. And then just beating that into your head over and over. I find. We were just talking about this this weekend, but when I'm doing things under load, when I'm putting myself under pressure and I'm putting myself through like suffering on a regular basis, like life is so good that most people don't have to like physically suffer in a lot of ways. And when I do that, something else happens. Like, I don't know if it's an endorphin release, I don't know if it's something else, but. There's a clarity that comes to other parts of your life.
1: Oh, you know, that's just exactly the thought that popped in my head when you said it. What I have found through my endurance athlete career is it has rolled over into all other facets of my life, my work, my relationships. It's like, I can get through anything. You know, when, you, when you're 48 hours into a race, you've bunked like eight times, you're hot, you know. You probably got poison ivy in places that uh, you don't even want to describe or whatever. It's like, I can handle a, a crappy conference call or a board member yelling at me for something. Like, what are you going to do to me, right?
0: Are you going to stick me out in the middle of Georgia and not give me all my like, exactly. that's like It's not going to be worse than yeah. that. Yeah. Do you want to talk about nutrition for a second? Sure. So when I was Googling you and doing some research, like I saw you did a interview with my buddy, Matt Frazier, a yeah. athlete. I think, I don't know how long. It was, it was probably like, like five, five years, years ago. ago. Yeah. 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 You're a vegetarian then, and yep. I think that was right in the middle of you running across the U.S. Yep. You want to talk about kind of your nutrition changes that you've made over from a, you know, maybe from a business standpoint, from a entrepreneurial standpoint, from an energy standpoint, but from also the ultra running standpoint.
1: Sure, sure. Well, in all of those, uh, you know, I think nutrition, especially at a CEO level, like one of the most important things I can do is take care of my body and my head. So, nutrition plays... You know, whether I'm running a race or going through a, a difficult patch at work, nutrition and sleep are, are huge to me. But I was a vegetarian for about seven years, but I was one of those people that wasn't getting what I needed, and you know, 95 percent of the people can tolerate that diet and do extremely well. But I got to the point where um, I was experiencing some of the symptoms of people that need some meat in their life. And so I converted back uh, this is probably three years ago. And I did a bunch of research. I actually picked up the primal endurance blueprint, Mark Sisson, and his uh, sort of thought about being ketogenic and eschewing carbs and sugars and things like that. I was like, I'm going to give this a shot. And wow, you know, uh, it wasn't placebo effect. I, I immediately came out of some of the symptoms I had with vegetarianism and really then used that as a blueprint to fuel my entire life. And I spend... I'm making it up. I have cheat days and all that, but I'm, I'm probably 90% in keto most of the time. I mean, even though I look pretty skinny right now, I'm probably 15 pounds overweight because I let my, uh, my IPA habit getting away a little <laughs> bit, but I actually, the year I finished first in the, uh, run across Georgia, I was a hundred percent keto going into it. I maintained keto pretty much the, uh, the entire thing based on that blueprint that, uh, the primal endurance thing did there's a supplement company out there, HVMN that came up with this liquid ketogenic tonic. And I tried that, you know, as soon as it came out and, you know, although it's, it's expensive. It does work. It knocks you into ketosis pretty quick. Are they just exogenous ketones? Exogenous okay. ketone fluid. Um, even though they've t- tried to do a pretty good job masking the flavor, it still tastes like lighter fluid, but um, it does work. You know, I use that uh, right before I do races uh, to lean up a little bit.
0: I tried one recently called, like, keygenics or something like yeah, I got a bag of that at that home. That doesn't actually taste that bad. Yeah. I was. I don't, That's,
1: is that a powder you mix? Yeah, I think it was
0: yeah. – uh, they were pouring out, like, Gatorade at a conference okay. or something like got that. It. I was like, I'll take I'll take some of that. I was like – you know, because most of those exo- – I'm going to screw the word up. Exogenous. Exogenous yeah. ketones are – pretty terrible. Yeah, they taste uh, bad, yeah. <laughs> but you're like, this is going to work. Do you mind talking about some of the symptoms that cleared up when you yeah. kind of switched over your diet? Because I, I find a lot of people, a couple weeks ago, I had a girl on here that went full carnivore and cleared up all sorts of autoimmune issues. But then I've also had Mike Wardian, who's a crazy ultra runner and probably the most prolific ultra runner guy I know, full vegetarian, might be vegan, I don't even know. but. I'm just always curious on like where people are optimizing their diets, what they're seeing is working for them and seeing how that changes based on the biomes of everyone and and then what they're trying to perform for.
1: Yeah. Isn't it amazing though about how each body is a chemistry lab that you know, you may react amazingly to a specific kind of diet and mm-hmm. I'm I'm dying on it yeah. vice versa. The symptoms that I had, and I've done a little bit of research. I guess there's two amino acids you don't necessarily get anywhere else but from meat products, and there's a small, very small percentage of people that develop some symptoms. The biggest symptom I had, and I'm a pretty upbeat guy 99.9% of the time, but I was actually experiencing depression for no reason, and that was one of the key symptoms of one of those, uh, a lack of a specific amino acid. And then I was just in this spot, and maybe those two fed each other, where like, I just didn't have any energy. Like, I'd get up in the morning and just feel like, I'm sure you felt the feeling, like you're like I've got rubber bands attached to me on everything, and yeah. I can't pull myself through a jog, let alone an ultra run or an Ironman or something. So I did a bunch of uh, labs, and my doctor came back and said, yeah, it's sort of hard to tell what's going on. You know, you might, I know you don't want to do this for a variety of reasons. You might throw some fish in there or some chicken and see what happens for a couple of weeks. And literally, no kidding, within like two weeks, the sun was shining again, rainbows, you know, chocolate rivers, smiling babies, a whole nine yards. And my endurance came back, my energy came back, and I haven't looked back since. But, you know, it's so funny, back to that carnivore diet, you know, I've seen some stuff on that, keto diets, paleo, you know, rich Roll with this uh, veganism, like, there are people just cranking it out on a variety of different diets. So I go back to everybody's a chemistry lab and whatever works for you works.
0: Yeah. Did you find that specific types of meat helped?
1: You know, I actually got to the place where um, like, hey, just before you and I sat down, I had a ribeye for lunch, and ribeye and a small salad and. I think beef works, I think good quality fish, good quality chicken. The other thing I uh, that I really try to do, my wife and I try to do, and it's expensive. Luckily, my job pays pretty decent, but, you know, we're, we're trying to find the best quality organic, no antibiotic, everything, you know, meat-wise that we can get to put in when we do that.
0: I find when I eat a really high-quality steak, I am higher energy the rest of the evening and then the next day. And then I'm also like more aggressive, like I'm actually more like a make more decisive decisions like I, I'm i clear headed about stuff and it's very weird to me. I've never correlated that before but I might test around with like doing a full carnivore diet. I kind of want to do a bunch of these diets in like 30-day increments and just do if labs. cool to see what happens. And just see what happens but I've noticed like when I have like a really high quality steak like at night I'll wake up and like I wake up and I'm like ready to like attack the day and I'm just ready for it. When I take that out of my diet then I'm like I do find I am a, a little bit slower or just like Lacks a days go about.
1: Yeah. In Do you get like mental clarity as well? Like, I find like when I, uh, after my cheat day, uh, and I'm, I'm back into keto for a couple of days, like I get like amazing mental clarity.
0: To me, that's 100% correlated with sugar intake. Yeah. So, as soon as I like pull all the sugar out of my diet, like you feel like you took that limitless pill and you're just like seeing stuff yeah. you didn't see before. And from like a meat consumption, I always feel like affects me from a like aggressiveness and decision making standpoint. Like, I feel like I've just like, Obviously this is the right to call and you have like, boom, 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 boom. And then from like a mental clarity and like seeing like the angles when I'm taking sugar out, or I'm specifically like limiting carbs, I find like the first few days are pretty terrible, especially yeah. if you've been having them for call a while. It, yeah, the keto flu or whatever yeah. they call that. Yeah. But then once you get through that, you're like, Am I a superhero? Yeah. I might be a superhero.
1: I feel a little faster than most people today yep. mentally.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. So we talked a little bit about races. We talked about being in the suck. Any other things on from a race standpoint or from a you mentioned it bleeds over. And this is something I talked about yesterday, the the a Bruce Lee quote that like, you know, if you always put limits on yourself in one area in your physicality, it'll bleed over to everything else. And I that's yeah. something I I notice all the time. And if I'm not doing something physical to like beat it in my head that like you're not defined by your mental limits, like then it starts to do it starts to bleed over into everything else. You know, you're the CEO of a nine figure company. How do you take that mentality into your job, into the people that you're working with, the people that you're inspiring and motivating on a daily basis. Like, What do you do? How do you implement that mindset and utilize that and pull that out of ultra running so it doesn't just stay? Yeah.
1: And I've had people who've gotten to know me tell me this, like the me you got right here is the me that you'd get at home running on a trail you know, hanging out in Mendocino at a board meeting, like this is me. And what I think I've brought over from my endurance athlete career is a a lot less drama when I'm approached with things, you because know, like I said we were talking about earlier, like, hey, you, my shoe just blew up, you know that that that's a big deal, yeah, but you sort of look at it and say, okay, now, what am I gonna do? And I do that, carry that mentality into the workplace. I also think, um not to get too crazy, but you know that whole idea of owning the dash, like, Man, I'm gonna press it to the limit. The whole born date, death date, the dash in the middle—that's the only thing you really have to control. And you know whether it's my endurance career, um, I'm on my second book writing, my CEO job, my relationships. Like everybody has the same number of minutes in a day, fourteen hundred and forty, and I'm gonna get every last drop out of every one of those and every mile, every interaction with people I really try to give it my best and that that whole thing that, that whole continuum just pulls through.
0: Do you ever do like physical challenges as a team as a like team building type thing or is there a way that you can instill that mentality into people that are working for you so it's not just maybe you're leading by example and that's a good start but yep. is there a way that you can actually like imprint it on their heads or in their mentalities?
1: You know that's a question that I've I've made mistakes around a lot you know trying to take my endurance sport mentality into the workplace in a very, let's talk about running or biking or swimming or whatever. And I found that you get about 10% nods when you do that because not everybody is interested in hearing, Hey, you know, I just spent three days in a swamp running around getting, you know, snakes chasing me and stuff like that. Some people get their heads wrapped around that. Some people are just like, yeah, that guy's crazy. So I found that it doesn't work for me to do that. What I do though, try to do is role model behavior, Persistence, being rational, real, not a lot of drama, and those are all things that I've learned in in endurance sport.
0: Yeah, I found that sometimes I'll initially, when I get excited about something, I'll be like, "Hey, I everybody should do this." Yeah, that doesn't always work. And what happens though is, if I just do it and I don't worry about if people are coming along, eventually people will show up or people start being like, "Hey, what's what's he doing over there?" I call it like a lag time where you kind of plant a seed and then it just you take some people are six months. Some yep. people are 18 months. Some people are going to be three years and it really depends on the person, the interest, but like damage, just picking the thing out that you want to do, you want to develop in yourself and then demonstrating it out. Yep. has been really useful.
1: Yeah. That's the same mentality I carry. And I, I also learned a long time ago, like, I was one of those guys who, that was just obnoxious. Hey, I got this, you know, new pedal set. It weighs a half an ounce less <laughs> and you know I'm telling people that had no, you know, just trying to make myself feel good yeah. by all the knowledge I had and all that. Like people just don't give a shit and <laughs> it's okay.
0: Well, I think some people care because uh, I did a and a after my talk the other day and they're like, "So we have a guy here that runs a bunch of ultra marathons." And I'm like, "Yeah, interviewing him tomorrow." And they're like, "Do you think you could beat him?" And I'm like, I don't know. I told him uh, I've never been the fast guy. Yeah, I'm not but fast. I'm pretty good at suffering. So we could put together. You a and suffering. I share that. We yeah. could
1: put together Fest 2019. There yeah. we go.
0: I like that. You mentioned you wrote a book and you're yep. working on another one. Mm-hmm. You going to talk about the book that you wrote and then we can talk about the book. So
1: uh, the first book I wrote um, was a book for new leaders called uh, A Solid Handshake and really it's a collection of uh stories that uh, real stories that I've picked up across the way that I found myself retelling to new leaders really just about how to be responsible as a leader high integrity doing the right thing and uh it was number 1 on Amazon's hot 100 for about the first month uh, that it was out there and uh I still get probably 5 to 10 copies a week sold and uh it's been something that I've enjoyed doing and so much so that I started to write a second book, which I'm almost done with. Um, did you self-publish these? Did I did you... self-publish. Okay. Um, as you probably know, you learn a lot along that route. Yeah. Um, and so the second second book, I'm going to self-publish as well. But it's a book about um, how, uh, so my second daughter and I sort of drifted apart through the years and how running... And the experiences that we've shared running, she's a beast. She's a little savage uh, ultra runner herself. Have sort of brought us back together and some shared experience. And you know, she and I, um, you know, have, have done hundred milers together. We tried to run across Georgia this year together, and she had some some really bad blistering problems that that killed her out. And then uh, we're gonna do this uh, Swamp Fox uh, two fifteen in November in South Carolina together. So
0: it's crazy how ultra marathons are just those suffering experiences can bring you. Oh, yeah. One of my really good friends, Alan, flew out to South Africa to run the last ultra race with me in um, in Cape Town. And I don't get to see Alan very much. Like, we'll talk on the phone on a regular basis. But, like, when he flew out and we did that race, and I don't even think we were, you know, we ran together for a little bit, but then we ended up separating out. I was like, all right, Alan's my guy. Yep. And um, it's just funny what that type of mutual suffering is once you go through it, like it can repair bonds. Oh, and do it
1: does. Stuff like and, uh, that. yeah, that shared experience, like with her, we were either laughing our butts off about something as, you know, you get punched drunk after, yeah, yeah. you know, 24 hours or running, but we were laughing our butts off about the stupidest stuff in between her screaming because she was in so much pain with her blistering and chafing. And well, I'll tell you, as a dad, seeing your daughter suffering like that, that's a whole different set of mental challenges because, yeah. you know, it's like, do I say something? Am I quiet? How do I help? You know? <laughs> So,
0: so is that going to be a memoir? Is it going to be like a... Yeah, it's a memoir.
1: Um, I'm weaving in lots of stories about some of my runs, some of the relationship issues and and how running has sort of brought us back together. And I've got about 30,000 words in. I got about another three or 4,000 to go and then finish up the edit and hopefully have it out by Christmas.
0: Okay. So, Well, let me know. I'd like to check it out and we can talk about it on the podcast. Cool. Again. You mentioned this swamp race that yeah, you've yeah. talked about a couple of times. What is this? And then any other races you're coming up? Because I'm looking. I've, I took kind of like the last year off after all the Ultras. I was, legs are pretty trash. I did a couple like fun runs. I, did, I ran across Liechtenstein oh, and then I ran cool. across Monaco. And so, like, I've kind of a mini goal now to do like the 10 smallest countries, like oh, just run across them. So because cool. Liechtenstein's like 13 miles, it's not that far. And then Monaco's like three. And so, I think the farthest one on that list is probably less than 20, but it's like an interesting way to like come up with. A new Yeah, I've ran goal. across 13 countries. Yeah, yeah that's sort of cool. Uh, but I'm always looking for races, and I've got a couple that I've got my eye on, but this thing sounds intense. And Yeah, so it.
1: um, it's in a forest in South Carolina through a swamp. It's called the Swamp Fox 215, and uh, no crew. You've got three drop zones for whatever gear you want. No aid stations, uh, no pickle juice sitting out there at mile eight for you or anything like that, so... I don't know where I'm going to sleep. You know, you have to get 215 miles done in 72 hours.
0: Is it a loop course or is it like a, it's is it just a, an out of back? It's an adventure? out and
1: back adventure type of thing. And it's the first year they're throwing it on. So I don't even know how many people are going to be out there. For all I know, I might be the only one uh, with my daughter, hopefully. And you you start at like 6 PM on a Thursday and you have till uh, 6 PM on Sunday to get done. Okay. Um, so my hope, would be that I can finish somewhere between 48 and 72 hours, and I'm I'm probably going to try not to sleep during that period, uh, depending on how ugly that gets.
0: How fast are you moving for that then?
1: Yeah, so probably for the first 50 miles, my hope would be, and I have to look at this trail a little bit more. It's flat because it's in in the swampy area, so not a lot of hills there. So my guess is I'll be able to maintain like 10-minute miles for like the first 50 miles, 60 miles and then i'll probably shift into a, a run walk situation depending on how i'm feeling but my hope would be that i can get say 100 miles done in the first 24 hours which isn't a crazy pace what is that like 4 miles an hour 15 minute miles and then um, at that point mathematically i can walk it in yeah which you know you do the math as you know you do yeah, the yeah. math in your head just every constantly mile constantly doing like, that over and over Can, I do, it? Like, can I do it yeah if i can just maintain 15 minute miles so that's sort of where i'm headed with that okay
0: is there is there navigation involved?
1: So um they give you a trail map and uh, of course I'll have my phone with the map on but they uh they, you know these these race directors are pretty funny they always try to paint this horrific scenario when they describe the race they actually will fit us with um, satellite tracking devices uh to keep track of us in the woods in case we get off in the middle of the night. Yeah.
0: So That's cool. Have you ever thought about doing Barclays?
1: I've looked at that and uh, that's a special class of crazy <laughs> there and You know, the last couple of years has just been fantastic. And, you know, like I watched Amelia Boone last year and her experience and and how how trash these people look after even just one loop around. If they make one loop around and it's like, "Mm, I'm not even sure I'd be worthy.
0: Mike Wardian, he was on the podcast earlier. I mentioned him. He's gone, I think, the last two years. And you pick like the best runner, you know, or whatever. He's up there. And he made a loop, but it didn't. Hit the cutoff time or something. Like yeah. I think like, it's 12
1: okay. hour. Loop. I think it's 12 hour cutoffs for the loops. Yeah. yeah that's rough. You think about it. But I don't know if you've ever seen before and after pictures or they show sure those people. It looked like they'd gone through meat grinders. <laughs> like, what happened? <laughs> yeah. What happened to you?
0: So you got that race. Yep. Do you have any other, any other ones on the docket?
1: There's a 100 miler here in 10 called the Umstead 100 okay. um, that everybody tells me is a, a really great race. I think I have another date with the Volstate 500, which is that race that uh, Lazarus Lake puts on between. Uh, one border, Tennessee, and the other border It's you know 300 miles without a crew I've probably got another date with that Maybe the next year I uh, have been looking at the Appalachian Trail Run, especially after all the public I have no designs, I've, I'm not crazy I have no ability to hit a record But seeing what Uric did and some of these Other folks did the last couple of years like That looks like a lot of fun yeah. So I might try that
0: Okay, You're doing all these ultra marathons You're the CEO of this nine figure company It feels like you've pretty well tested yourself physically mm-hmm. and in the business world. Like what is scary to you these days? Like, is there anything that kind of comes on your radar that you're like, that's a little intimidating, not to the point that you wouldn't necessarily do it, but like that would make you kind of raise an eyebrow and, and yeah, think about for a second.
1: I'll give you a sort of a philosophical thing I fear. And then maybe a, an item I fear <laughs> but like a philosophical thing I fear is like waking up one day and thinking to myself, I didn't actually give my best the day before. Like that chases me every day. Like, and I know I fail at that, just like every human being does, but I, I try to analyze what I did the day before and like, man, I screwed that up. I don't feel good about myself for that. On a physical thing, and I saw I read your book and I read your, your website and all that, bungee jumping, yeah. oh my gosh, that seems like uh, ridiculously <laughs> crazy. And uh, I also think you did a skydive thing too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, my do. wife did a skydive thing. I, ah, that just has, one, it scares the hell out of me and two, has no appeal. Okay.
0: AAF certification where you just go get certified and jump on your own that's like the first you know tandem jumping is kind of normal you in my mind if i die i can blame the guy on my back (laughs) like it's his fault it wasn't my fault if you jump out of a plane on your own then it's definitely your fault that you died so that's that there the the thing i like about bungee jumping is it's you know everybody talks about like get outside your comfort zone take the leap whatever it's like okay get up there and actually physically take a leap i think that's really fun and we took like a couple different times. It took 30 some people jumping and you get to see, you know, these people, everybody talks about getting outside your comfort zone. You're like, okay, let's let's do it. Yeah. And you get to see a whole different side of people that comes out.
1: Just thinking about that, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> on my arms. Like, bungee jump, especially when you see like, I don't know what your experience was. Like, did you guys go off like a big bridge type of yeah, thing? Yeah, so or? it was
0: the, I think it's the largest bridge bungee point in uh, the US. It's up in Washington. They run bungee.com. So oh, he's wow. like an OG guy. He was the, one of the guys that, set up the stuff at what's the bungee point in Vegas. There's a big bungee spot in Vegas. And then they also helped the guy who did the uh, skydives from space. The Red oh, Bull one. That guy. Yes. Yeah. I'm blanking on his name. I covered it all all when it was happening. But uh they have to basically train him to get out of the spins. And so they simulate a lot of that with bungee stuff. And so they did a lot of stuff with him when they were trying to set up for the Red Bull thing. And so they're like the guys when it comes to
1: oh, that's amazing bungee
0: jumping. So if you want to go, let me know. <laughs> I'll reach out. There.
1: Uh, that's uh, I might take you up on that, but boy, that just that whole idea scares me to death. So that's
0: awesome. <laughs> cool man. Well, I think those are all the questions I've got. I uh, I'm excited about this race. I want to see. I'm going to follow along with what awesome. you've got coming yep. up. Why don't you come on out? Hey, yep. I, and, and, I mean, you need some. You can't have a crew.
1: You can't have a support uh, crew, but may I don't think there's a rule against pacers, so hey, if you want to hey, hang out. Hey. When is it? November sixth, November seventh and eighth, or something like that. Hey, if you ever want to do something if you ever want to do a hundred mile or something, let me know. I'll I'll hang out with yeah, you. Yeah, let's figure out a race. Yeah. That'd be fun.
0: Awesome. Cool, man. Well, uh we'll wrap this up. As far as like anything else that people want to see, the book
1: Solid Handshake, you can get it at Amazon, Barnes dot com, what have you. Twitter, Ed Rosich, I'm very active on LinkedIn, Ed Rosich, and uh that's that, yeah.
0: Awesome, man. Well, I had a great time doing this. I did fun. too. Let's, yeah,
1: you're a good guy. I appreciate it. Let's do a race sometime. Cool. Thanks.
0: All right, guys. That is it for the show. If you guys enjoyed that podcast, I'd love if you went over to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. We're on Spotify now. Wherever you're listening to podcasts, go head on over. Take a couple clicks leave a five-star review. It's the number one way that we reach more people, help more people find out about impossible and inspire them to push their limits and do something impossible as well. I also want to say thanks to Ed for being on the show and thanks to Brian and the sales team at Dude Solutions for having me out and letting me speak to them. I had a great time. They're an awesome company and I hope you guys are pushing your limits throughout the rest of this year. Again, if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple other ways that you can do it. Head on over to impossiblegear.com, get an impossible shirt, wear it, it's comfortable, it looks awesome, and it's going to inspire you on a daily basis to push your limits. There's no wussing out when you're wearing an impossible shirt, so don't do it. Check it out, impossiblegear.com. We also have other apparel, but you should definitely get the shirt. Also, movewellapp.com, 10-minute mobility routines to help you get stronger, get faster, and recover better. We want to help you Feel better and move well. So, check it out movewellapp.com. It's a free app, but it is the best way I found to be consistent in your mobility work and get stronger on a daily basis across the board. Finally, check out starterblog.com. We're trying to help 10,000 people start their blog. When you sign up, we'll hook you up with a blog with a five-page starter list. Also even hook you up with a, an impossible list and uh, give you a starter guide on how to get that set up and get going with that. So if you're interested in doing something... That was literally the most impactful thing I've ever done, Just starting a blog and starting my impossible list. We want to help 10,000 people do that. So check it out at startablog.com slash free blog, and we'll help you get started. No strings attached. All right, guys, so that is it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. I've got another episode coming same time next week. But until then, keep pushing your limits and do something impossible.